You found the Digging Oak Island podcast, a podcaster's journey to discover the truth behind the Oak Island mystery. I'm Dave McBride, thank you so much for downloading and listening. Don't forget, you can help out the show by leaving us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, I'd like you to join us on Twitter and Facebook. You can follow the show at Digging Oak Island. Okay, folks, today's going to be a little bit of a, maybe a shorter podcast. We've done this before. I'm not going to be answering any of your emails or messages today. We'll catch up with all of them next week. It's been a crazy busy week for me. It's rare these days, but uh, with the kid home from school and all that kind of stuff, I don't have the kind of time I had last year. You've heard this all before from me, but so uh, but instead of skipping a podcast for this week, I'm just going to go you know straight into an episode review here. I'm going to try it again, doing it without a script, just some notes that I took as I was watching the show a couple of times. Um, so basically, you're going to hear today just the ramblings of a podcaster. So I apologize for the lack of cohesion that's normally in the show here. Uh, also, before we get started, let me remind you um, that you can always get your emails and your comments, your questions, heck, your theories into uh, diggingoakisland at gmail.com or you can go through Facebook and message me there or through Twitter and message me there, and we can discuss your ideas, your comments, what, what have you on a future podcast. And Mike on Facebook, please be aware, I'm watching your posts. I've been reading them. We will get to it. I promise. Okay. Uh, so like I said, I'm just going to give you some thoughts I had on Season 8, Episode 10, called Connecting the Lots. Now, bad pun, but good descriptive name for the show, right? I mean... Still, bad pun, but we can get past that here anyway. <laughs> Let's start off with a kind of a war room debrief scene that we had for Craig Tester. Apparently, this is the first time Craig's been on the island um, for the year after a 14-day quarantine. Now, for those of you who don't remember from the beginning of the show, uh, everybody entering the Canadian Atlantic provinces had to quarantine for 14 days before being cleared to do anything. All the guys did that. I thought Craig came on the island closer to the time that the Laginas did. Apparently not. So he's just getting to the island now. We've seen him a lot, but we've seen him through video conferencing. And I think he, I've, you know, over the last couple of weeks, we may have actually seen his video conferencing from his quarantine in Nova Scotia. So he's back on the island and you have Doug Kroll and uh, Rick Lagina and others there kind of in the war room, sort of giving him a rundown as he's back to take over some of the projects. Um, the talk of the money pick goes to Doug who says something interesting here, that they've dug 21 holes so far with no evidence to show for it. Now, remember what they're looking for here. They're not looking for, I mean, they are looking for a treasure, of course, but the purpose of this year's money pit project, drilling project, is to find evidence of two things. One is the chapel vault. We will get into the chapel vault one day and what it is, but it is a location that the chapels, when they were digging on Oak Island in the, at the end of the 18th, or the end of the 19th century, um, found what they believed would drill through what they believed was a vault and came out with gold on the end of the drill. We'll just leave it there. I'm sure you've seen it a million times before. Uh, they're also looking for evidence of what actually occurred down there after the collapse of the money pit. Now, you can go back and listen to some of our off-season shows to hear about the collapse of the money pit, but it was a cataclysmic event in the middle of the 19th century where everything cribbing, everything the searchers were doing collapsed down into the money pit. Seemingly, whatever was down there got crushed, moved, pushed to the side, and now there's also there's reason to believe that if it got pushed down far enough, it might have been pushed down into some sort of 
moving water down there, natural feature, a natural cave, what have you. And they're just trying to figure out where this all is. Now, they say it's because their plan is to do a big dig. We'll see. Anyway, Craig wants them actually to dig closer to a hole that he that they call OC1. Last year, you'll remember, this was towards the end of the season. Um, OC1 was a hole where they dug, a, put a big can down in there, and they pulled up big pieces of wood. They took that to be dendro-dated, using dendrochronology, which is tree ring dating. And they found it to be wood from 1706. So obviously very compelling and intriguing. Craig wants them to move back over there and start looking more over there as well, instead of, I guess, <laughs> whatever they've been doing so far. And also, you know, not following any uh, map theorists for the time being. Um, Doug says he likes exploring over there since there was, as he says, no mention of any records of searcher tunnels in that area at that depth where this wood was found. We remember that from last year. So it's kind of a compelling little area to look at. And I maybe I'm just being cynical, but did it really take Craig Tester coming to the island to point out that they needed to follow up on that great find from last season? I mean, they pulled out this huge piece of wood. They found it dated to nearly a century before the discovery of the money pit. It's obviously compelling. Um, you would think that that would be where they would begin their project this year, right? I, I don't know. It's, it's, it seems a little strange, but they're so bad in the show and showing you exactly where things are being dug um, and how they're going about it that you just kind of got to let that go <laughs> and hope that there was good reason for what they did, right? This is seriously a setup scene for what this show is going to be, this connecting the lots idea, right? So let's head over to the bunny pit since we mentioned it already. There's an early scene right in the first sequence of the show where we have another of these checking in scenes. We've talked about this over the last couple of weeks. We just sort of have a scene where we go over and and uh, uh, Terry Matheson is there with Charles Barkhouse. And one of the Laginas comes and they say, oh, we're doing this. We're doing this. We're looking. Yeah, we're going to keep trying. And then we just sort of go away. Sort of just sort of give us, <laughs> let us not forget the money pit is there and there's a big project going on. Well, Maybe we're getting to the reason why we've been sort of checking in here with us so much. Anyway, the next time we see the money pit, it's Craig Tester heading over there where they're drilling another hole in this sort of honeycomb approach that I mentioned. This is basically just poking holes all throughout, all year long, poking small holes 200 feet deep to take out a core sample and see what it gives them, what kind of data they can get out of that. This one they called something like F.25-9. I don't know, something or other. They have little names for all of them so they can identify them. Uh, again, this is another one of those things where they're not finding anything in this hole. There's no wood. There's no evidence of any voids or anything like that. So they're just sort of moving on. Like I said, we've had a lot of these checking in with scenes here. Um, you know, things are starting to pick up, though. We'll get to that. So later in the episode, they're actually digging a new hole by OC1, which they're called, I think, D11. So they're taking Craig's idea and they're putting it into good use. Geologist Terry Matheson seems sure that they found evidence for a tunnel at 100 feet deep. Now, I'm not sure what to make of this because it seems more like evidence of potentially, how would I put this, sort of more evidence of potentially weird stuff to me than absolutely evidence of what one would call a tunnel just from the way he's describing it but i'm not an expert on this 
they continue to look down this hole and at a sample of around 144 to 152 feet, they find similar stuff. Now they're making a big deal about it. They're talking about it like as if it's an interesting find, some neat data. Um, but again, he's talking about discoloration and maybe stuff, signs that things have moved. And it's, you know, it's it's not a void like one would hope to find. You know, there's no there's no pieces of, of gold coming out of these things. Right. Uh, so they decide to go deeper with the hole. And they're talking about how they're going to keep going deeper. It's weird that they did that because I thought they were doing that with all their holes going down to the 200 foot level or even further down. But they, they're going to go deeper. And that's the last we see of it. So maybe we're saving something from this hole for next week. It's the hopeful side of me. Let's see. Perhaps. Okay, so we go over towards the sorting table. Now, they have a big one. One of the things you don't see is they have this big giant machine, a wash plant that takes all the spoils. You take a big giant bucket, excavator bucket full of dirt and rocks and junk from the ground you drop it into this spoils table and then it shakes it all up cleans it up sorts it all out and out comes a bucket full of rocks that are little tiny ones a bucket full of big rocks and all, all that kind of stuff and they sort it out they put those rocks and all that stuff onto the sorting table it basically gets rid of the dirt right is what they're doing and then you can kind of sort through it they hand sort through it here we see jack begley doing that along with two members of Billy Gerhardt's crew, his company. Um, Michael John is one of them. John Winters is the other. And they're over there kind of looking through these rocks. Now, remember what I said before. They're looking through the spoils here of OC1. That was the hole dug last year with the 1706 wood. Seems very <laughs> convenient to me that they're digging over there. And they're Anyway, we'll get to that in a second. Remember, this is all kind of coming together for this connecting the lots here thing, right? Michael John, he finds a piece of an old iron spike. The narrator refers to it as a rose head spike, or maybe he said rose head nail. Uh, for those of you who don't know, a rose head nail, basically that's a hand forged spike or nail. Um, they're really easy to identify as old because the actual way they're made, the top of them from the banging from the forging process actually kind of makes these little petal designs on them. They, they look like little rose petals. That's why they call them rose heads. So you can tell just from looking at them that they're, you know, before nails were machined, right? So Laird Niven comes over and he has a look and he says that it could be. He really emphasizes that word. I know they like to jump right past that and everybody gets excited. He says it could be really old. Now, I want to I say this here if I can. Um I've always suspected that Laird's time on camera, and I'm, this is all this is all just me shooting from the hip here, but I've always suspected that his time on camera is really heavily edited to make it look like he is, oh, what's the word, um, less skeptical, more convinced of these kind of things than he really is, and that and this scene kind of proves it out for me. You can see him trying to convey in his body language and his face that, yes, this could be old, but and it could be really old, but it also might not be as old as we want it to be, right? You can almost see that look in his face, that sentiment coming out in his face, but it gets largely edited out. Now, folks, I say this because a couple of weeks ago, I accused Laird of jumping to conclusions, and I just wanted to say this, that, I, you know, this 
scene makes me think that perhaps I was wrong about that, and maybe I jumped to conclusions back there. I've had a couple of messenger and email conversations with Laird over the last year or so. He is certainly, if nothing else, an incredibly smart guy, an academic, and has a healthy and appropriate level of skepticism that one would expect from an archaeologist working in any project. But the producers and the editors, I would imagine, do their best to make this academic archaeologist look more convinced of all these theories than perhaps he really is, you know? Anyway, now, before we take a break, there is one other little stop here we need to make before we bring this all together, and that is the quote-unquote serpent mound feature found over on Lot 15 a couple weeks back. Simple scene, Gary Drayton's there, metal detecting right over the top of the archaeologist's work, and he finds another one of these rosehead spikes uh, adjacent to the mound. So it's all starting to come together here, isn't it? Okay, so why did we spend so much of this episode talking about rosehead spikes and the hole from last year OC1? Well, we're about to find all that out. The team at the end of the show gets into a video call in the war room with Dr. Krista Brousseau of St. Mary's University, where she is the, I love these names, Canada Research Chair in Sustainable Chemistry and Materials. Basically, she's a chemist. She can analyze all sorts of things, including metal. Uh, we've seen her so many times over the years of this show that really she's kind of an honorary cast member now, right? We get to her at least every year, and she is a great academic, and she offers some incredible information. But... Is this the first time we've seen her this season? I think so, right? Anyway. Okay. She's looking at these spikes, the one found on lot 15 and one um, and the OC1 spoils spike. Uh, she says the lot 15 spike was man-made and not made by machine, in quotes. So as we said, that's pretty easy to identify. Uh, it's made of wrought iron, and she also uses the phrase rosehead to describe it. So now we have a new one in the uh, lexicon of Oak Island discoveries, right? She says that it's most likely pre-1790. In fact, if you look at the information and listen to her, what she says is that it is pre-1840 wrought iron, but made in a pre-1790 style. So there's a lot of wiggle room in there. That number, 1790, and the pre-1790 really gets you into a transition area. So it doesn't mean it's from before 1790. really doesn't tell you that totally. Um, there's just enough ambiguity could the, to make me think that this, certainly from this information so far, this could be searcher or something else other than just depositor, right? She says from the phosphorus contents that it matches the OC1 spike meaning that they have been made possibly at the same time and maybe more intriguingly by the same person. And now this is interesting information. If a spike found on the ground somewhere in Oak Island, especially, you know, near a point of interest, right? And it was indeed made by the same person using the same formula to come up with the wrought iron as a spike found 100 feet below the ground, then we have information here that could at least be a clue. I don't know what it says, but it's a clue to something, right? Now, 
Marty sort of opines that perhaps the Serpent Mound was therefore, in fact, the original spoils pile for when the original money pit was dug, meaning that whoever dug out and constructed the money pit way back in God knows when, as they were digging it out, they dropped the dirt over there on lot 15. Now, that's total speculation, but it's kind of a good theory. It gives you an idea of the kind of information that maybe you can draw from this clue should it be actually verified. Having said that, it could also be that it's the spoils of an early searcher, uh, which would connect these spikes as well. So what we need is more analysis to definitively prove that they were the two, you know, they're the two um, made by the same person, and then some way to date it, although I think that's difficult other than just it's made probably before 1800, which honestly at this point doesn't say a whole lot. Hmm. Watch this space. Okay, like I said, this is going to be a short show. Um, the episode actually begins over at the swamp, so we're going to finish up over there. Um, despite these two spikes and the really interesting possibilities we're, we're starting to follow here with those, I do believe that the swamp is the focus of the work here and is really the interesting part of all this, to say the least. They're digging again on this stone feature that we talked about last week. Um, remember, I pointed out that they had found evidence of wood in the very southeastern corner, but they have not followed up on that. They still haven't. However, if you look in the first scene of the overhead shot, this isn't the first time you're, you, you first aerial you get of the swamp in the show. You can see it's sort of a drone image from way up high, right? You can see that that area, that very little corner has been dug out. And if you pause it, you can see more wood is being shown. So something's there. Something's going on there, and by the time we're looking at this, they have been there excavating it. They just haven't put it in the show yet. Again, will they ever go back to it? And so that'll tell you if they really believe in it, if they ever go back to it. My guess is they will, and all we're doing here really is just sort of messing around with the timeline. People who listen to this show and people who watch The Curse of Oak Island are always obsessed about Stranges and strange things in the timeline. Maybe I shouldn't say obsessed, but they're always interested in strange things in the timeline. There's no two ways around it. They absolutely do that to kind of give a little more cohesion about the work so you can, so it's easier to follow the storyline of one kind of job, that project that they're performing. So Billy Gerhardt's behind the wheel of the excavator. He's scraping off the top layer of mud here uh, in this area, a little further to the west, I guess, than. Uh, <laughs> than that little bump area I was talking about. And archaeologist Aaron Taylor is there. He's really getting involved this year. And he jumps in and f starts pulling out or pointing out pieces of wood. Now, what Taylor wants to do is follow these things all the way up inland. He calls it into the uplands. So basically, the the <laughs> how do I explain this on, <laughs> on a podcast? The swamp is only just above sea level, if not at sea level, right? So the rest of the the rest of the islands are a couple of feet above. So what he means by the uplands, this is true throughout. We did this in the Smiths Cove too. Was the 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 ground itself actually planes up a little bit, and that's what's happening here. So he wants to follow it and see if it actually goes into this feature. Actually continues underground into the middle of the island. I guess. Okay. In a later scene, a couple of couple of you know a few minutes later 
Gary Drayton is metal detecting from the spoils of Billy's digging, and he finds a possible ox show ox shoe nail and and what he calls an old colonial copper coin. Now, I just mentioned these. No analysis was done on either of these in the show, so we don't really know what it is. But the interesting thing about it is we see one scene, he's he's detecting through it, and he finds these two things. And it, a lot of people online, and I think even the crew, has a little bit compared this potential slipway, or whatever it might be here, but this because the way it sort of extends out into the ocean seems very much like a slipway. They're comparing it to the slipway found under the ocean floor in Smith's Cove. But here we're already seeing a big difference, right? One of the most fascinating things about the slipway in Smith's Cove is that there was nothing found there. There was no metal at all. For a working wharf, anybody who's owned a boat, I mean, God, I, I've told this story before. I had a boat uh, <laughs> tied up uh, in a big lake here in Jersey, and I can tell you that underneath that boat, there was multiple pairs of sunglasses, a phone or two, all sorts of fun stuff, keys. There's things under a dock. People drop stuff in there, and that's what you'd get. But there was none in that slipway. Here, you're getting more of what you would expect, right? Pieces of a, a coin, a nail, that kind of stuff. It's normal for what you'd find, and it's fascinating that they're finding it here as opposed to the old slipway in Smith's Cove where they didn't, right? Okay, anyway, I don't want to get uh, too off on that tangent. As we get to the end of the episode, Rick now heads over to see the progress that they've been doing. And Aaron Taylor says, quote, they got a few answers to some questions. Taylor then calls the area that he's about to take them to Miriam's segment, which means that archaeologist Miriam Emerald must have been very involved here off camera. Now, preseason, uh, in that Maddie Blake show that I think might have been the you know, the hour before the episode one, um, we saw Miriam Amaralt over here with the Swamp Doctor talking a lot about the swamp, but so far we haven't seen her really working over there. So she must be playing a big off-camera role and maybe she'll kind of come into it as we get, uh, you know, get further on down the season. Rick remarks that the structure is quote-unquote out of place and finally we're getting a really good look at it. And I have to agree with Rick. <laughs> Nature does not select stones of all about the same basic size and then kind of put them side by side and pile them up into a rectangular shape. It just doesn't do that, right? And there's really great work here by the producers to finally pan out and show us these cleaned off stones so we really get a good look at it. I mean, this is a fascinating little thing here. I don't know what it means, but it is a fascinating thing. Now, Taylor points out something also really interesting, which are these poles that seem to be running under the rocks. Like, like as if they're support beams for the whole thing. Now, I, he explained this, and it makes sense to me, but I'll just explain it a little better. What he's saying here is that even before the road was put in, turning this into an actual swamp, right, with standing stagnant water, it was still a marshy, boggy area because the swamp itself, I believe, is spring-fed. So there is water in that area. So whoever built this here picked a weird place to build their wharf because, and that this is part of the thing you're going to have to follow to try to figure out what this all is. There's a clue there. Picked a weird place to pick the, to build this wharf because they're building on top of real boggy, muddy, soft ground, as soft as you could possibly find in Nova Scotia, right? So he's thinking that these poles underneath are setting some sort of support for the rocks as you put them on top. Makes a lot of sense. We'll see as we get further on down the road. 
And I think it was Doug Kroll who's there who says, quote unquote, no searcher ever even mentions this road. I mean, this is a truly fascinating discovery, a new one, as opposed to some of the stuff in Smith's Cove where it made it look like these were all brand new, but they knew they were going to be there. They were just trying to uncover it. Dan Blankenship and others before had uncovered that stuff in Smith's Cove. As far as I know, as far as I can tell, and I've looked around, nobody's seen this before. Nobody knows what this is. It's a truly fascinating discovery. It might have absolutely nothing to do with the Knights Templar or whoever you want it to be. But it's a fascinating discovery, not something you would expect to find. The overhead shot towards the end of this whole scene really shows the size of this thing and sort of the geometry to it. It's it's hard to look at that and not think that this wasn't man-made. Now, just a little side note on the production side of things. Um, Like I said, this episode was definitely an example of how the editors tried to put together a show here where you can really see how a project or everything fits together, but also obviously manipulating the timeline. I mean, they had the goal of reintroducing OC1 with the goal of showing the potential connection between the Serpent Mound and this item found in the spoils of OC1. Do we really think that Jack and Mike found that spike on the same exact day that Gary found one on Lot 15? On this, you know, I, I really doubt it, right? But, and on the same day that, that Craig comes in and says, let's go dig over at OC1. I mean, it, 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 this is just an example of how this works. I know some people are annoyed by it. I'm not really, I don't really care when in the summer they find these things. I only care about getting the information. And we got a lot of information here on this show today. I really enjoyed this episode. I really liked it. Um, I love finding the new things and I love opening doors to new clues for what this mystery could be. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Digging Oak Island. Like I said, we're going to get to your emails and all that stuff next week. Keep them coming. Any comments on the last couple of episodes, any ideas, theories, throw them out there. It's great stuff. I truly enjoy that. Um, And also, don't forget, you can subscribe to this show if you don't already. Anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever. And if you have a chance to rate and review us on those platforms, please do so. Um, It helps get the word out on us. And I'm going to try to start bringing in a Patreon and all that kind of stuff to try to offset some of my costs here. So it'd be great if you could share it with your friends and do a rating and review. I thank you so much for that. Um, And for everyone who's done it already. Thank you for the kind words. I really, really do appreciate it. Um, Also, if you have any questions or comments that you want to send directly to me, you can do so via email at digginoakisland at gmail.com. little warning, keep in mind, if you send me an email or a message, I'm probably going to answer it here on a future podcast. So, two things. Don't expect a, a return email from me right away. Listen to the next show. And if for some reason you don't want it read then just make a mention of that so I can just answer you on email and uh, not involve the whole podcast broadcast thing, right? (laughs) You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We're at Digging Oak Island. Give us a like or a follow there. That would be much appreciated. It's a great way to follow the podcast and also interact with a lot of other listeners of the show. Um, Again, I'm sorry for the rambling today and the non-cohesive script and all that. So until we speak again, I'm Dave McBride. Thank you for listening to Digging Oak Island.